Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story and on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. And speaking of five-star reviews, I'd like to give a special thanks to Misty D. Rains, who gave five stars not on this podcast, but on my book, Service Disrupted. They write, Great read. What a fantastic look into life in West Africa through the experience of a Peace Corps volunteer. It provided a lot of insight into the life of West Africa and caused awareness to HIV. Highly recommend this book. Misty, you may not listen to this podcast, but if you do, thanks. And for those of you who are listening, if you want to know my personal Peace Corps story, head on over to Amazon and check out my book, Service Disrupted. On this episode, I talk with Keith Pettit, who is a fellow podcaster over at the Expatriate Act. He served in China from 2009 to 2011 as a TEFL volunteer teaching English. While he worked at West Normal University, his experience wasn't exactly 100% normal. He has some great stories to share that I think you guys will really enjoy. So, without further ado, here is episode 38 with Keith Pettit. This is, this is, this is, this is my, my Peace Corps, Peace Corps, my Peace Corps, my Peace Corps story, story, story. My name is Keith Pettit and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey Keith, uh, I would say, how are you doing? Because this is how I, I do every show, but at this point we've been talking with one another for about an hour and a half, having technical difficulties uh, and just talking about podcasting in general. So this is the third time we're starting your interview, uh, but nonetheless, how are you doing? Well, I, I feel like we're uh, blood brothers already, but I, I'm doing quite well. Um uh, my my car uh, passed away this weekend, or or is in a state of um, it's in a coma essentially. So I I've been more or less locked in my apartment with my cat. So um, uh, if I seem a, a little unusually um, energetic, that's because um, I'm I'm having human interaction after a week of mostly napping and reading and um, cabin fever. So. Um, <sighs> Otherwise, life is good. Well, it sounds like the perfect recipe for a podcast interview. <laughs> for everybody else who's listening who doesn't know, uh, let everybody know a little bit about yourself, where you served in Peace Corps, and what exactly you were doing as a volunteer. Yeah, I served for uh, two years in the Peace Corps in China, the People's Republic thereof, and I was uh, more specifically in a town called Nantong, which is in the middle of Sichuan province, which is considered the West. But if you really look at the size of China, it's like the Midwest. Um, but but everybody in China thinks of it as the West, um, the Wild West in a way. Um, and I served there for two years. I um, 
managed to I, I had thoughts of eating i think a lot of people do um but i managed to plow through and um now I'm hoping to reap all those grad school benefits and what have you. So, um, but I did that. Um, I had done TEFL before in South Korea, Poland, and Mexico. Um, and I think I would have ultimately liked to have stayed in Mexico uh, because I loved it there. But uh, things were getting a little too um, uh, sketchy when it came to violence. So um, I decided to go with something a little more stable. And uh, China was perfectly safe, um, uh, just a little psychologically draining. And, uh, that's, <laughs> that's the, uh, the verdict on China, I would say. And as a TEFL volunteer in China, you were working in a university with, uh, university students, correct? That is correct. I was working at China West Normal University. Um, how normal um, a university it was is up to your uh, discretion. But, uh, you know, normal in the sense that this is a teacher training university first and foremost. And uh, my students were freshmen and sophomores. And uh, my goal as an English um, teacher was to um, educate them um not so much in grammar, not so much in, uh, you know, the uh, fundamentals of English, but more to get them conversant, uh, to get them to speak uh, conversational English. So there was a lot of leeway. Like there was nothing. I had no textbooks. I had no uh, real things to go on. My goal was to introduce them to Western culture, say this is what like the Western world is like. Um, and to hopefully inspire conversation um, in my students, which was challenging because I had um, China is obviously a very densely populated place. Um, my average class was like 45 college students, and I taught probably eight classes per semester. So grand total, uh, 1,500 kids. And, you know, I regret to say, like, of those 1,500 kids, um, like, maybe nine or ten of them were um, flexible in the way that, like, a Western mind is flexible. Like, you can entertain ideas and reject opinions and, re you know, ch change your mind about things. Whereas I think a lot of the kids were, unfortunately, very indoctrinated, which was kind of the, one of the frustrations of being a teacher. But nevertheless, you know, I tried to be enthusiastic, tried to shake them out of their uh, slumber. And um, as far as that went, one of the surprising things that worked was uh, poetry. I uh, introduced them to um, uh, kind of classic works of poetry. And they, um, of course, in China, they have a proud tradition of poetry. And they, uh, I think, got quite a lot out of it. In fact, I uh, think they analyze uh, Robert Frost, um, the path not taken in a, in a way that, uh, I as an English major, uh, never quite hit on. I was like, I think you guys are right. I think I'm wrong about this. <laughs> like, so, um, it was an experiment, you know, and, uh, it lasted two years and, uh, there were success stories and there were just kids who, um, went on to become really bad English teachers, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, any Peace Corps experience, you you realize your limitations and you realize like 
that you're not going to be able to save everyone. You just have to uh, do your best to bring the best out of the people who can be reached, you know? Mm -hmm. And as, as a volunteer and while you were trying to, to get these students out of this uh, pattern of rote memorization and really become conversational with English, you said that you had a lot of flexibility and what you could do is there or was there a lot of stuff that was explicitly off limits that you weren't supposed to talk about, that you weren't supposed to approach? I mean, we all hear about the censorship in China, but how much did that come into play in your role as a teacher? Um, oh, yeah, that um, was a very big deal. Um, uh, in fact, I believe there were a couple of volunteers who got in trouble for um, – uh, mentioning, uh, they were called the four T's. It was Tibet, uh, Tiananmen, um, Taiwan, and um, who? Uh, <laughs> what's the other one? <laughs> Tibet, Taiwan, Tiananmen, and um, some other disputed um, part of the country. And uh, we were not allowed to talk about those issues. We were cautioned explicitly by the Peace Corps, do not bring this up in class or you will be on the next flight out of the country. And so, you know, I was edgy, but I was not stupid. And I never brought those things up with my students. Um, I wrote a blog that kind of address these issues and I thought that would get me kicked out of the Peace Corps but fortunately my uh, country director was a big fan which surprised me I was like she's like you're writing like really honest uh, really um, observations that skirt the line between being risque and being uh, accurate you know and uh, that's important and so uh, in a weird way I think blogging or writing about it was kind of what saved my ass uh because otherwise i wasn't a brilliant teacher and i um you know um after a while frustration kind of set in and i, I wasn't sure what i was doing there um because uh, um and and we kind of discussed this a little bit um before our computers went all wonky but like um china is a very very different program from i think any other program in the Peace Corps in the sense that you feel less like you are helping out the poorest of the poor. You feel more like you're kind of doing a diplomatic handshake. Like, here are some free college-level English teachers, and um, China and the United States are going to be buddies, you know. And um, uh, in fact, um, the Peace Corps in China was not known as the Peace Corps. It was known as the uh, Meijong Yohao Zhejian Zhe, which means the American Chinese uh, Friendship Volunteers. So we had a different name. We were technically not the Peace Corps in a sense, you know, uh, which was a very strange experience. And uh, um, we had um, classroom monitors. Uh, so one student... Uh, with um, Communist Party ties or, or somebody who was going to go into Communist Party leadership would observe every class to make sure that nothing untoward or nothing anti-government was, was said during the class. So I was very, very careful and cautious about that. 
Um, so it, it did um, kind of restrict what you were able to do with your students, and it restricted um, um, having certain conversations. I remember when I was there, uh, Leo Xiaobo won the Nobel Peace Prize. And the day that happened, um, I had a student come up to me and ask me, um, and this was a common question because Chinese people feel, um, and I'm generalizing here, but um, a lot of Chinese people feel um, as though they've been kind of um, um, manipulated or, or taken advantage of by the Western world. Um, they do not have a lot of Nobel prizes to their um, credit and uh, especially the Nobel Peace Prize. They'd never won that before. And the day that uh, Leo Xiaobo won the Nobel Peace Prize for protesting the Chinese government, um, I had a student come up to me and ask me, like, teacher, why have we never won a Nobel Peace Prize? And this is like the day after it happened. And I was just like, like, it was it was stunning to know, like, how the media had successfully uh, kept these people from finding out about the outside world. It was, it was chilling in a lot of ways. Hmm. And I, I did a quick Google search. Uh, apparently there are only three T's. So that's why you can't remember the fourth one. There isn't one. <laughs> Thank God. All right. Very good. So yeah. um, <laughs> there, there is a, a four T's Chinese restaurant that I found, uh, but I, but I don't think you're referring to that. What are, what are the Yelp reviews like? I mean, are we talking like two out of four? I mean, I you know, is it in China? Like, I, I check it out. If well, it's, it's, uh, in, it's in uh, Camden. It's on a uh, ChineseMenu dot com, which I didn't know was a thing. It's in Camden, Tennessee, apparently. Uh, <laughs> no reviews. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, maybe that's the fourth C. You just don't talk about that place. Like, you just. Yeah. No reviews, yeah. but uh, if if I happen to swing through Camden, Tennessee, and to all my audience in Camden, Tennessee, I'm sure it's a fine establishment. I'll I'll swing through for some, uh, um, you know, uh, hot and sour soup and some uh, <laughs> sweet and sour chicken or something. But um, no, I mean that's interesting. Uh, yeah, the the three T's and. Um, uh, those are serious points of contention. They will get you in trouble. If you bring that up at a bar or um, with the average Chinese citizen, you're going to have yourself a mighty unpleasant debate because Taiwan is China to their mindset. Um, Tiananmen Square, it happened, but it was a mistake. And um, Tibet is has always been part of China. And those are inflexible, very rigid things that that you will not get Chinese people to budge on. And that's uh, something you have to learn. Some people didn't learn that and they uh, insisted on pressing those points and those people uh, didn't last very long. So um, the question is like, do you want to subtly uh, influence the way these people think, or do you want to go out there and uh, try to be some bombastic world shaker and, uh, and, make an immediate difference. And I think the, the the former option of being more subtle, of being more uh, gracious, of being more patient, I think that is the route to, if you're going to access these kids at all, that's the way to do it. And uh, that's what I always tried to do. Mm -hmm. 
And as you were teaching English, you learned Mandarin. Previously, we talked about uh, just the fact that you were able to uh, learn quite a bit. You you came in with no Mandarin and left with uh, a advanced low in, in Mandarin speaking. Yeah, an advanced low, and that's um, strictly conversational. Had nothing to do with handwriting or um, um, reading or anything like that. So. Um, that's an entirely different spectrum and I, you know, my reading abilities were okay. I could decipher a sign. In fact, I vividly remember, um, having this, <laughs> uh, moment of, uh, revelation. I was on the bus and I was like looking at this sign and these signs were everywhere and they were red, kind of pinkish. And, um, the symbols were, um, and it took me a while to decipher each symbol, but like a, after a year or so, uh, I realized the symbols were adult use um, um, toy uh, tools. And uh, once that last symbol clicked into pay- place, I was like, oh, this is a dildo shop. Like, I had no idea. <laughs> like, but it, it took me like like a year to figure that out. I was like adult. I know that sign, uh, tool. I know that. Um, uh, and, and then, uh, the, the other two eluded me for a while. And then I was like, Oh, I did not know this was so commonplace in Chinese society, which you would be surprised by. But I think, um, they're sexually fairly open. Um, uh, religiously. I don't think there's, much religion in China aside from um, some very clandestine Christian missionary work. Um, But um, it's a very, um, you know, and again, not to generalize, but in, in uh, the mid, uh, the middle of the country and in the East, um, it's a very homogenized population. It's mostly Han Chinese and, on the east, uh, in Shanghai and Beijing, of course, there, there's a lot more creative stuff going on, a lot more diversity of ideas. But if you are in the middle of the country, uh, what's called the West, Sichuan province where I lived, um, it's um, very, very uniform and very, very conformist. And um, there are uh, differences in wealth, um, but there are not very many differences in idea. Like uh, there's... Um, a very strong sense of national identity and um, uh, with the United States kind of retreating or I don't know what the United States is doing right now. It just seems to be um, on fire. Um, China is using this opportunity to to say like, yeah, we can step up and fulfill that role. If, um, and, and I think that's something that we should be wary of. Um, just because, you know, having been on the ground for a couple of years, these are some very, very nationalistic people with uh, a lot of pride and they've felt victimized for a long time. And that's not a great combination <laughs> when, you, when you have a country that big. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I just have so many questions in relation to, to you being in China, because I've previously been to China, uh, only Beijing for a week, and I've got an upcoming trip where I'm going to be there for like 24 hours. Uh, but we can table that for after the fact, since the focus should be Peace Corps and your Peace Corps experience. But one one question that I I always ask that's kind of a softball question 
Well, it's a softball question on the on the outskirts of a favorite Peace Corps memory, but then any volunteer knows that it's so hard to pick a memory, uh, especially over over two years. But do you have one of those memories that's uh, your favorite to share that you just loved uh, talking about? Yeah, this one, um, uh, it's um, a goofy memory, but like I think it's one of my fondest. Is uh, we had this uh, Thanksgiving gathering in a nearby town um, called Nejong, which uh, is in the same province as, as uh, my hometown of Nantong. Um, it didn't seem so far away on the map, but uh, we had to pass through a lot of villages and a lot of mountains and hills. And um, what I figured would be like an hour and a half bus ride turned into like a six hour um, trek. And I vividly remember sitting on the bus and um, they were just playing. I mean, I don't know where they get this stuff, but they were playing like Western music or Chinese music or just like whatever random playlist the bus driver put on. And they played a song that I had had never heard before and have not heard since. I've not gone looking for it. But the song was called I Don't Want No Short Dick Man. And um, I, I'm trying to remember the bits and pieces of the lyrics, but it was like, I don't want no teensy-weensy, itsy-bitsy, short-dick man. And this is like playing in the background, or pretty prominently in the foreground, actually. And all these Chinese people are kind of bobbing their heads. They're like, yeah, I can get behind this beat. And I, I'm just sitting there, like, I'd probably been about a year and a half into my service, and, like, I was unfazed. Like, I just... This I didn't laugh. I didn't grin. I just uh, sat there and said, okay, this this is normal. And um, we passed through a village, and there was this, like, gigantic crater in the road. And uh, we couldn't get past it or couldn't go – you know, we weren't willing to risk – uh, traversing this, you know, it looked like a meteor had hit this village or something. And, uh, lo and behold, these, um, peasants or just like country folk, they started placing rocks, um, uh, to cover up this, um, uh, giant divot in the road. And like, they dragged out like huge pieces of tile and like, uh, giant boulders and like all this stuff. And these were just random like villagers and like shopkeepers, like um, doing this work so that we could get, get on by. And it worked like they, it took them maybe um, five minutes and they covered up this uh, a, a massive hole in the earth we drove over it and we went on to our uh, destination in Nejong where we had uh, this uh, Thanksgiving party. And it was um, mostly like expats, like mostly like Peace Corps volunteers. And so it was one of the uh, rare and uh, precious occasions where you get to speak English and you get to use all the profanity you like and um, you get to hang out with people you haven't seen in a while and as you know, in the Peace Corps, like you um, experience like the same uh, frustrations and you experience the same um, kind of homesickness and, and trauma of, of whatever um, that entails in your country. And we, uh, my best buddies and I have like a really weird dance party to Titus Andronicus in, in this uh, room 
And uh, it was just like this uh, moment of uh, like joy, <laughs> like that, like we just like we're um, without any irony. We we're just like happy to be around each other. And um, um, but the the weird part of it was that um, like I um, like the rest of the folks at this party. It was like in a Chinese apartment. Um, I had had my fair share of alcohol, and I uh, began uh, sleepwalking, which um, I really hadn't done since I was like four or five. And I, um, have this kind of dream memory of walking across the room, uh, going out into this balcony and I really needed to relieve myself. It was maybe like five in the morning and I, um, looked over this balcony and it was just like beautiful. And I was like, you know, everybody's asleep. I'm just going to take a leak off this balcony and uh, that'll be that. And uh, I came back into the room and everybody was like, what are you doing? And I, I, I was like, what do you mean? What I, like, I just had, you know, I had to go. And uh, like, uh, they're like, there's a bathroom for that. And I was like, I couldn't, I, there's no time. I couldn't find the bathroom. And like, I was completely, you know, um, or mostly unconscious, uh, unconscious, let me try to pronounce that again, unconscious for this. So I had no recollection of it the next morning. And the next morning, everybody's like grinning at me. They're like, dude, that was, that was some like, uh, like what you pulled last night, that was some crazy shit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like that thing, like when you peed out the, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, it rings a bell, but like, I don't, you know, I don't think I was awake for that. And finally, like the, uh, uh, fellow Peace Corps volunteer who um, owned the apartment or resided in that apartment, um, she brought me into her room and she's like, um, she wasn't angry or anything because this is like typical run-of-the-mill Peace Corps behavior in China. But she was like, um, um, I wanted you to know that like, you know, I'm totally cool with whatever happened last night. Like, I, I have no problem with you urinating out, out the window. And I was like, window like what are you talking about window i was like i like i went to the balcony and she's like no like this is the room you were in you crawled up into that little window it was like a dinky little window and a, a chinese windows have cages on them to prevent like thieves from uh, breaking in and i had cried cr- crawled into this dinky little window ledge and i was just like peeing out of this window and i like I was like I can't believe I physically managed to do that and I'm also like really sorry that I did that like you know but like Peace Corps people uh, you know fast friends and they're easy to forgive so uh, it wasn't that big of a deal but like you know it's one of those things that like everybody knew about it and everybody like made funny made fun of me about it but i was like totally cool with it because i'm like it's the peace corps man like it's like you 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 just um you do things in the peace corps that you uh would not do back home (laughs) most definitely and i think you have the honor of being the first first pee story people people avoid uh the pee and poop stories which is funny in because it is a Peace Corps, and I don't know why I haven't heard many of them on this show. And I think you're only the second drunk story uh, related. So so kudos there. And then I did, I was curious about the, the short dick man. Uh, apparently a song, uh, 
by the group 20 fingers uh yeah that sounds about right yeah yeah uh, so so i I did find it and i i'm i think i'm gonna have to include this in the show notes uh for your episode so it'll be it'll be at the very bottom uh, if anybody wants to watch the uh the music video for that Oh God! There's a music video. Well, I I, I just got the uh, you know the MP3. I I didn't uh, get the full full on music video. I didn't even think this band or this group Twenty Fingers or whatever they are had the funding for such a, a project. But like oh now now you've got my uh, curiosity peaked. So um, just just from but, like the 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 clip it, and the. I, I can see here uh, funding uh, is a relative term and I, I don't think this is a, a high high quality production it's probably a, a low, lower budget production than either of our podcasts combined so like i think you know you know i think we made the right uh, career choice but um um no that that was a, a fond memory and uh there were like thousands of those like that, I I mean, I don't even know if I want to say that's my fondest memory, but it certainly wasn't a a memory. Um, uh, but like, uh, you know, like uh, um, with any uh, Peace Corps group, you have kind of one class and then the, the next uh, class arrives. And my class was kind of older. We were in our late 20s like early thirties. Uh, some, some people were 40 or 50 and we in fact had like a, I think 78 year old volunteer and like a couple of volunteers in their seventies. Um, and, uh, the next group to arrive was, uh, in their twenties, like early twenties, like fresh out of college. And so there was this strange dynamic where we were very much the voice of pessimism. Like we, uh, we had not abandoned all hope, but we had a mentality where we're like, yeah, you can only change so much and you, um, you show up to work, you, you do the best you can, but you can only change so much about the place. And then you have all these young kids who were like, yeah, we're going to change China. We're going to do all this stuff. And then, um, it was interesting to watch that kind of hope fade and, um, depressing in a way to watch it fade. But, um, because you always root for um, optimism and, and positivity and change, uh, especially if you're a Peace Corps volunteer. But that's uh, in in China that uh, was very difficult to do. You're de- you're dealing with a lot of people who have been indoctrinated for a, a long time, and um, the people who you're going to be connecting with or having serious conversations with are inevitably people who have been exposed to Westerners either through uh, living abroad or through hanging out in like cool bars in Beijing. So uh, where I lived, like there was like almost none of that. So it got to be, um, it was like playing a video game and I don't play a lot of video games, but it, it was like you were interacting with the same character um, pretty much throughout the entire experience. And it, uh, perhaps that's why my Mandarin got so good is because I was able to practice the same thing over and over again, and then kind of eventually expand upon that. So I don't know. Um, but you know, it's, uh, um, um, 
when I when I uh, look back on it, I, I think that uh, it it was primarily a psychological struggle. It wasn't uh, there wasn't any threat of danger. There wasn't any threat of um, real revolution or you know you're going to be kicked out of the country because of uh, political uh, issues. It was more um, keep your mouth shut about the three T's um, and behave yourself um, and you'll do okay and. Um, we, we didn't do very much work. Um, in fact, like we had projects that we were supposed to engage in, but I don't think the Peace Corps particularly cared whether we did or not, which is not to knock the Peace Corps. I just think it was a different type of service. It was definitely more about image than, uh, real, uh, at, you know, helping, uh, people in need. Like I think, we weren't even really allowed to go to the villages like we, because China didn't want us to see that side of their country, you know? Mm-hmm. Did, I mean, did you ever go to those villages or were they more like, were you more or less told by Peace Corps, like this is something you don't do? Like you can travel around to the cities or was there a, a formal ban on, on some of the travel that you could do? It was uh, discouraged, and I'm, you know, my memory fails me now as to whether this is a, a Peace Corps um, as stipulation, like you're not to go to um, these poor places, or whether it was more of a uh, general vibe that, yeah, you shouldn't be going to these places. But I did have the opportunity on one occasion to uh, go teach a bunch of uh, five-year-olds in this like place that was really, really poor. And like, like they're, um, this town's primary source of income was like, they had a dump and like, uh, they would sell all this waste and that's how they survived. And I taught for a day, um, these like, uh, fifth graders and like, the chalkboard was so, uh, old that, um, there, there was just like chalk permanently ingrained in, in, in the surface of the board. And so I couldn't erase that. I just had to write over it and hope the kids would understand it. And they were five. Uh, I was used to teaching college kids at the time, but I could deal with five-year-olds, whatever. But the weird thing was like, um, like a lot of, um, folks, uh, who may or may not have been light smokers in the United States or, who smoked while drunk, um, like I went full bore, like, okay, I'm going to be a chain smoker in this country. Like, because like Chinese people are constantly handing you cigarettes and it's a way to, uh, fit in with them. It's a way to kind of ingratiate yourself to the locals. And, uh, I, um, I figured uh, living in China alone was doing enough lung da- damage to myself that uh, what's what's a little more. Um, but it was weird because I was teaching these five-year-olds and the school director would every so often, at, almost like by like like payment, he would hand me a cigarette and light it for me. So I'm like <laughs> like smoking a cig and like teaching these five-year-olds like how to say hello. I'm like and singing all these songs. I'm like hello, goodbye. But then I've got this like cigarette like just like blazing away in my fingers. And I'm like, uh, there's something not right about this. At the same time, like. Uh, this is probably some of the best work I've been able to do, uh, to do because like I'm working with these very, very poor kids who have, who are astounded to see a white guy. Like, I mean, it was uh, a very strange experience, but that, 
that was the only time I, I really went out into the uh, proper villages and uh, – um, in my province, at least, I, sometimes you'd get lost and you'd wind up in a village in some touristy part of the country. But like uh, we, we were discouraged from going to certain places like you were discouraged from going to certain provinces. You weren't to go to Tibet. You weren't to, to go to Shitsang, um or um, I believe. Um, gosh, I'm forgetting it now, but like the uh, furthest west uh, province, which is uh um, populated primarily by Uyghurs. It's, I believe, um, let me, let me map of China, this, um, <laughs> like, uh, the furthest West province, of none of these maps, uh, Xinjiang, you weren't allowed to go there. And, um, uh, there were just politic politically sensitive areas that you weren't allowed to go. Otherwise you were pretty much allowed to travel the country freely that said you had to tell the peace corps that you were leaving and i was either through laziness or just kind of uh mild rebelliousness i would just kind of go places and um not tell the peace corps so i was uh, i was uh youthful and mis uh misbehaved on occasion but um managed to get through it and through, through all your, you know, uh, travels uh, off the record uh, from from the Peace Corps and just two years living abroad, is there something that you you took away from your experience? Something that you learned that has you know stayed with you, you know, over these you know past several years since returning to the United States? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think um, patience is certainly um, a virtue, and I'm sure like a lot of uh, people you've interviewed on the show have said the same. Um, in China, like you will routinely find yourself at the bus station or at the train station and just like groups of people like that you have not seen before, like the number of people um, outside of like a um, like concert, you would have like, th these are people waiting for the train and you have to stand at the back of the line and people will push past you and people will, you know, somebody's got a chicken in a basket and like they, and somebody's carrying like two 50 pound bags of rice. And like, you have to kind of just be patient and allow things to take their course and understand that, yeah, you'll get on the train eventually. Um, but, um, you know, uh, there's something, uh, Western about you that prevents you from pushing anybody else out of the way you just kind of learn to uh be pushed but not pushed back and uh you just kind of had to learn to be uh, patient and deal with that um uh to give you an example like i mean like where i lived in particular i have no idea why this was the case but i uh i think my city was the third largest in sichuan province and um so the dynamic of um kind of undereducated um, people from the countryside um, combined with just like very homogenous um, Han Chinese people uh, meant that none of these people had seen like a white person in their life. So um, my walk to school was generally 45 minutes and I counted it one day and I got yelled at like 47 once a minute. And I was, um, 
I think the thing that I took away from that was like, uh, you know, a cry about that and say, oh, poor little white boy, like in China, like getting harassed. But like, that's like um, all over the world. Like if you are um, either an undesirable or um, um, different uh, type of person, like you will get grief and you just have to um, absorb that to the best of your ability without um, uh, lashing out or without um, responding negatively to the population at large. You just kind of have to embrace it and say, yeah, like I, I have a beard. What? Like, you know, just uh, um, I think ultimately I, I if I had invested in a pair of headphones, I think I would have led a much uh, better life uh, in China. But I for whatever reason, I just uh, my MP3 device broke down and I was too lazy to get a new one or perhaps uh, just too broke. And um, so I just walked down the streets and got yelled at. And uh, uh, to describe how uh, prevalent that was, like the uh, constant shouting of Lao Wai, which is foreigner, which um, has, um, it's a totally innocuous word in a way. Uh, it literally means foreigner, and Lao means old. So there is, it, it has a certain respect to it, but at the same time, it the way it's used, it's more akin to like the N-word, or it's more akin to, um, I mean, with those words, it it's how the affected group perceives it. And I think that most uh, non-Chinese people perceive the word Lao Wai as like very uh, insulting or almost threatening. So uh, that was like the biggest struggle, I think, was having to deal with uh, uh, being treated not normally on the streets. Um, otherwise, like, I mean, Chinese cuisine was brilliant, especially in Sichuan. Um, uh, there were my, my students... Uh, in spite of maybe not being able to uh, reach like the heights of creativity that I had in mind for them uh, were incredibly sweet and incredibly motivated. And, you know, um, there were uh, upsides and downsides to everything. It was um, um, just a very peculiar experience. And um, um, it, it is, I think one of the strangest countries on earth. Uh, and, and I say that, you know, having done volunteer work in Georgia, which is a pretty weird country too. I think China is just stranger because it's, it's larger and it's more homogenous in a way. And it's like, it, it is truly mind blowing to spend a length of time there, especially in a somewhat undeveloped area. Um, but you, you mentioned that you, uh, um, were briefly in China and you, you have intentions to go back. You said 24 hours though. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's a, it's an extended layover, uh, on my way to Thailand, but I had previously spent a week, um, mainly in Beijing, but we did travel, um, spent uh, a few nights, uh, walking and hiking along the great wall. So I got to see some somewhat rural areas, uh, in China, but we were mainly centered around uh, Beijing. But I mean, as you know, what one week alone in China uh, is not enough to have a, a good sense, but a, a good enough sense that I, I want to go back and explore it more. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think the first few uh, weeks you spent there, because I actually, 
Well, when I left uh, South Korea, my first teaching uh, venture abroad, um, I was like flush with cash. And I'm like, all right, what am I going to do with this? And I said, well, I think I'm going to go hang out with my friend in Hangzhou on the east coast of China for a month and just like do basically nothing. And that's what I did. It's cheap to live there. And um, it's incredibly exciting to live in China for a short period of time, like um, especially on the East Coast where things are just booming and it's like relatively um, cosmopolitan and you see all sorts of expats and it's just like um, there's an energy there um, and there's an energy where I live too, but it's like um, um, I think where I lived, it, it's still figuring itself out, whereas where I kind of vacationed it was um just kind of exotic and almost like a novelty i was like oh man like look at all this like weird food and we're gonna go into this like really sketchy part of town and we're gonna buy knives to defend ourselves and like i mean it was just like an adventure whereas um two years in the peace corps like it uh starts out as as kind of an adventure and then it becomes your day job and you um um, you start to, uh, wonder, yeah, when should I head home? <laughs> like, when should I, uh, I mean, um, I mentioned like thoughts of leaving early and that was primarily just due to, uh, feeling as though I, I wasn't really getting anything accomplished and, and whether it was worth the, uh, constant harassment on the streets to do this job that I didn't feel, uh, was uh, very productive but um i'd like to think in the end that i i made a positive difference like i mean i introduced 1500 kids to um an actual american and i probably surprised them in a lot of ways that you know um they expect americans to be uh basically richard gear or something and um i am certainly not that so um you know, um, one, one of the stranger experiences that we had, and, and this is uh, an anecdote that I uh, m might have mentioned, or probably should have mentioned, is my favorite memory from uh, China. But I, um, uh, we had a summer project, and it lasted two weeks, so that was the plan. And we went to a place called Dajo, which is uh, kind of a good-sized town in Sichuan province, uh, about two hours away from where I lived. And uh, there were eight or nine of us, and we were uh, sent out there to basically do teacher training for um, uh, experienced uh, Chinese-English teachers. So basically trying to introduce them to uh, TEFL me methodology, and um, here's why you should not use Chinese in the classroom, but try to use English to the best of your ability and get your students talking to each other. That's like a much better way to learn and trying to kind of flip their idea of teaching, which I don't know how successful we were at that. But the day we arrived, like the, the city flooded, like catastrophically, like uh, <laughs> it was like uh, I remember walking down the street and um, it was at night when I arrived and there was just like this flash of light out of the corner of my eye. And I glanced over and it was the river and it was moving so quickly and it was so high on, on the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, 
you know, the, the edges of the river. It was just really, really high up. And I, I asked my handler, this like gentleman named Eric, who was supposed to ensure that I behave myself. Um, and I asked him, is that normal? And he said, uh, no, it is, it is not normal. It is a very bad flood. And I said, okay, well, um, should I be concerned about this? Like, should we worry about this? And he said, uh, no, it is sometimes it's big problem. Sometimes it's not a big problem. And I said, okay. And then the next day I had to give like a lecture at like eight in the morning and I'm kind of lecturing these, um, teachers on diversity and how there are Chinese people in America who would identify as, uh, Americans rather than Chinese and just trying to introduce them to that concept. And, um, Midway through the lecture, like the uh, lecture hall, which was uh, conveniently situated on the river, uh, started to flood. And, um, <laughs> and, and like w- water started to trickle in to the auditorium. And I'm like, uh, this, all right, so surely we're going to cancel this, right? Like, I mean, I know this is important and all, but like I, I think if, if water is infiltrating the auditorium, I think we should probably just say, uh, you know, call it off. And then uh, it kind of um, hit the amplifier and short-circuited everything. So I uh, could no longer speak on the microphone. And I had like an audience of like 300, 400 teachers. And so I, I, they, they were just like, no, yell, be, be, be very loud. And I said, okay. So I'm just like, it's like ancient Greek, you know, like a philosopher. I'm just like belting it out. Like I'm like – there are Chinese Americans. There are also African Americans. There are many types of Americans, but they are Americans. They do not identify. And like, and I'm like yelling all this stuff. And then eventually, like the water situation got to where it was like, you know, creeping up my pant leg. And and they decided, okay, we're 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 gonna can <laughs> we're gonna cancel this joint. Like we'll do it another time. And I, I remember I went up to the second story uh, to watch the, the flood because the river was like out of control and just like racing along. And um, I remember there was um, this kind of balcony we were looking over and I was smoking a cigarette as was the norm at the time. And I was talking to my adult students and I was trying to introduce them to vocabulary. I was like, uh, this bug here is called uh, in America we call this uh, daddy long legs it's a very strange name and they they were like okay that's interesting but but they were like more interested in like testing out like their basic vocabulary because the river was flowing by and they would see an object and they'd say teacher uh chair and i'm like yeah that that that's a chair and they would say oh teacher um hot pot table and i'm like yeah that's a hot pot table and they're they're like uh teacher house and i'm like "Uh, yeah shit that's a house yeah like this is like pretty serious like uh so uh we basically wound up um uh retiring to our dormitory and all the the electricity went out and we were kind of telling each other stories by candlelight and like getting drunk and just um unsure as to whether this program would uh, come to its fruition after two weeks, but miraculously it did. Like, like we spent two weeks in like a very precarious flood situation, like one of like the largest floods to hit that region in thousands of years. And we just were kept there and we just did our thing. And, um, I have very fond memories of that. So I think that was perhaps, uh, my fondest memory of my Peace Corps service. 
come to think of it. <laughs> and that is a a memory that could only be had as as a Peace Corps volunteer in all its amazing absurdity. Uh, well, I th- I thank you for for co- coming on the show, sharing these stories. Uh, but when you are uh, not being interviewed on on this podcast, you have a podcast of your own. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, so because I, th- I think listeners of this show may also be interested in uh, hearing more from you, but more from uh, you, the people that you bring onto your show because you've you've traveled somewhat extensively. You've met interesting people along the way, and that's sort of what it's about. Uh, expats living abroad uh, seeing and doing things that are not normal to the everyday american right and um i think i um it's a really uh, pretty funny to me because we both um started our podcast at about the same time and i think we have um very similar goals or i i think you know i started out interviewing primarily Peace Corps volunteers almost exclusively. And um, I've kind of since branched out and just dug around and found people um, doing interesting work, whether they're a Peace Corps volunteer or not. Like I'll, and and it's total like happenstance. Like I'll talk to somebody or get a line on somebody. Uh, oh, so and so is doing this really great work in Guatemala, and I'll say, okay, uh, like uh, I'll shoot a few emails back and forth. And depending on the person, like some people are are very anal retentive, and they say, okay, I want a list of questions. I want to, you know, I want certain things to be off limits. And I say, okay, no problem. Like it's all their rules. Like, but um, like uh, more often than not, it's just kind of free flowing conversation and I, I prefer to let them tell their story rather than you know the other way where I'm blathering at them and they're just kind of like whatever but um uh, the name of the show is expatriate act it is um, I will admit a borrowed name from the blog that I used to use uh, in China so um, the link to the blog is expatriateactblogspot.com uh, I have not written in it since 2013. Um, but it, it kind of chronicles whatever travel I did, uh, since the age of, uh, 24 through about 30 or so. So, it, um, you know, there are pieces in there that I'm proud of. There are pieces in there that I'm less proud of, but it, you know, um, when you're young, you're a lot more impulsive and melodramatic. And as you get older, you, uh, kind of learn to filter that out. So I, I like to think it improves like a fine wine rather than uh, moldering or, or growing putrid like a carton of milk. I don't know. I think it, it gets better with age. Uh, but like the uh, podcast is uh, working on getting a website. Uh, I have a Namibian fellow um, who uh, volunteered to do that for free. I think he might be having some issues with his romantic life or his um, or the country might be unstable. I don't know. But um, he's he's um, a web designer and uh, he's working on that. So we will eventually have a new address. But for, for the moment, um, the podcast can be ac- um, accessed via SoundCloud.com. Uh, backslash expatriate act podcast um and also via facebook you know facebook.com expatriate act those are the two primary routes to access it um 
in a, like I said, very much the similar uh, type of thing to what you're doing. And um, a similar timeline, we kind of started around the same time. And um, I think we interview a lot of the same types of guests, like the same uh, types of people who are out there, um, uh, if not trying to make uh, the world a better place, at least trying to go out there and experience it uh, to its uh, fullest capacity. So um, that's kind of the goal. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I'll sometimes kind of stray from that and interview a total oddball, like somebody who runs a micronation. Um, I interviewed um, the prime minister of um, Lieberland, which is a very controversial arguably non-existent state uh, between uh, Croatia and Serbia. And um, that was a very contentious and uh, argumentative debate because he's very much a libertarian and um, uh, has supposedly been scamming refugees out of money for citizenship. So I had to be a bit of a journalist for that episode. But otherwise, it's interviewing people much like the people you interview. So uh uh, that's uh, what I uh, like to do, and uh, that's, uh, you know, um, I've uh, listened to a few episodes of your show, and I, uh, I, I like the way you do things as well. I think we have two uh, uh, contrasting styles in a way. I think you are much more organized and much more um, – uh, you, you have your shit together, whereas I tend <laughs> to kind of um, – uh, mine are more rambly and uh, – I, I think less uh, um, edited with less precision. So I, I think there's a lot that I can learn from your show. And um, yeah, I think um, it's, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure to uh, uh, appear on your show. Yeah. And I, I look forward to more or less as soon as we wrap up this interview, we're going to be flipping the script and I'll have the opportunity to, to be on your show and, and take part in that that randomness, which I am also trying to figure out how to do as well. I have been <laughs> pr pretty rigid in my structure, which is good. You know, people come to, to sort of expect it, the flow, that way you get sort of uh, similar but different stories with each person. But uh, I'm trying to find new creative ways to, to tell the stories as well. Um, so as I do that, if my listeners uh, don't like it, uh, let me know and I will stick to what I've done. Um, but if also if you want to see uh, new stuff as well, uh, let me know. So as we're both experimenting, we can experiment together and toss ideas. Because as you said, we started at the exact same time and we're both trying to, to figure it out and working in similar spaces. Right. And um, I mean, the weird thing is like I, I had this idea kind of kicking around in my head for a couple of years, as I imagine you might have like, oh, you know, like nobody really does a podcast like for Peace Corps volunteers or for people who just live abroad in general. There, There is no Mark Marin analog for um, people who um, live through these experiences. And I had an bouncing around in my my head for a couple of years and then i went through this like catastrophic breakup and i was like all right i have to do something in order to uh survive and i said okay i'm gonna start recording this podcast and um it's interesting um like i listen to old episodes and i'm like man i did not know what i was doing back then but now 
it's uh, I'm not saying that I know what I'm doing right now, uh, but, but I, uh, it's uh, definitely the process has improved and it's gotten a lot smoother. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things, you know, the, the more hours you invest in it, the better you get at it. So um, and I'm sure that will apply for your show as well. So, um, yeah, I look forward to being a uh, partner in uh, um Introducing the world to these uh, stories that often go unheard uh, because, uh, like I said earlier, you, you come home from your Peace Corps service, um, two years have passed, people have moved on with their life, uh, lives, people have had babies, like people uh, forget about you in a way. It's, it's as though you've um, just vanished for two years and when you come back, the response is more often than not how was it? And that's it. And, um, I mean, most people who appear on my show and I'm sure you experienced this as well, uh, are, are very, um, what's the word? Like they're very, um, grateful uh, to have had the opportunity to talk at length about everything they experienced in this strange place. Because I think when you spend two years abroad, you come home and you think, Oh man, I'm like I like there's going to be a ticker tape parade. People are going to uh, there's going to be a sign in my little suburb, and they're going to say "Welcome back, Keith." Like is and like and like that one girl that I I never quite hooked up with. Like she's gonna just like completely fall head over heels because he's done this courageous thing for two years, and like there's going to be this huge gathering at a bar or whatever. And then you get home, and it's kind of like almost none of that happens. <laughs> like you're like whoa, like now I just have to, um, get a job and, uh, live an American life now. Um, it's very, um, it's a very strange transition and, uh, to, uh, share those stories, uh, for people I think is, is very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. And I, I, th I thank you for giving me the opportunity to share your story with my audience. And I look forward to, uh, you know, returning i guess the, the same and uh having an opportunity to go on your show and and talk a little bit more so to, to yeah. allow you to to take a breather and just listen to me uh, <laughs> blather on for a bit no that'll be a great relief because like uh, i mean like i told you like uh before the show this is the uh, first time i have been properly interviewed and so it was um really a strange experience i'm like okay like now i talk a lot and uh whereas i generally prefer to uh let the uh uh guest do that for me so um you'll have your chance to do that and i will have my chance to uh sit back and uh just uh listen so that'll be nice <laughs> yeah so if anybody wants to uh listen to that episode when it comes out or just know more about the expatriate act you can head to mypeacecorestory.com uh, search Keith's name and you'll find his show notes with all the responses that he gave me of his highs, lows, uh, favorite things from Peace Corps and links to the Expatriate Act where you can find it and have a listen to it for yourself. Well, Keith, thank you very much. It has been an absolute pleasure. Likewise, this has been very fun, and uh, I look forward to. Um, I might have to do some stretches or some calisthenics uh, for about five minutes, but then I'll be ready for round two. Sounds good. All right. Cheers, man. Cheers. 
And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you receive a new episode every single week when I release them. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours? <laughs>